This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I am your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I will stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and to believe through this beauty we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions or would like some help. Let us begin. Last week, uh, we started Act Two, and we left off with Polonius and, and Hamlet um, talking and uh, Hamlet making fun of Polonius. And we also got to meet Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and find out about the king and queen's plot to have his former friends spy on him. And just now, as Hamlet is fin- finishing up with Polonius, enter Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Polonius, fare you well, my lord, these tedious old fools. You go to seek the Lord Hamlet. There he is. Rosencrantz to Polonius. God save you, sir. Exit Polonius. My honored lord, my most dear lord, my excellent good friends. How dost thou, Guildenstern? Ah, Rosencrantz. Good lads, how do you both? As the indifferent children of the earth, happy in that we are not over happy. On fortune's cap, we are not the very button, nor the soles of her shoe. Uh, We see there the... uh, head-to-foot image that was also used uh, when uh, when Hamlet's father's ghost was described. Neither, my lord. Uh, then you live about her waist or in the middle of her favors. Faith, her privates, we. Double meaning there, as in uh, private parts, and also uh, private as in a private soldier. Um, also, this is an early clue that Hamlet knows they are not telling the truth. They are they are secret, they are hidden, they're holding back something from him. In the secret parts of fortune, almost true, she is a strumpet. What news? None, my lord, but the world's grown honest. Then is doomsday near. Uh, here again, uh, we see once again, the um, references to the truth, to lies, to honesty. But your news is not true. Let me question more in particular. What have you, my good friends, deserved at the hands of fortune that she sends you to prison hither? Prison, my lord? Denmark's a prison. Then is the world one. A goodly one in which there are many confines, wards, and dungeons, Denmark being one of the worst. We think not so, my lord. Why then, tis none to you, for there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. It's a stoical type of sentiment there. To me, it is a prison. Why, then, your ambition makes it one. Tis too narrow for your mind. Uh, We see there that Rosencrantz is sort of feeling Hamlet out about ambition and whether he might want to be taking uh, the king's place. Oh, God, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space, were it not that I have bad dreams. That could be just sort of an offhand saying Hamlet might be trying to display some of his so-called madness at this point. 
which dreams indeed are ambition, for the very substance of the ambitious is merely the shadow of a dream. A dream itself is but a shadow, truly. And I hold ambition of so airy and light a quality that it is but a shadow's shadow. Uh, then are our beggars' bodies and our monarchs and outstretched heroes the beggars' shadows. Um, here again, doesn't quite make sense. Uh, does introduce the idea of the beggar, which we're going to hear more about, uh, and the switching between the monarchs and, and a beggar. Shall we to the court? For by my faith, I cannot reason. We'll wait upon you. No such matter uh, wait upon you, that is, um, both are offering to be Hamlet's uh, servant, his courtier, uh, and Hamlet seems to decline. No such matter. I will not sort you with the rest of my servants, for to speak to you like an honest man, I am most dreadfully attendant. Okay, to speak to you like an honest man, um, you could take that as a meaning that he's been lying to them before. We see again the theme of honesty and dishonesty. Also an interesting phrase, I must dreadfully attended. On the surface, that seems to be a reference to his other servants. But remember who's with him at that moment, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and they are the dreadful attendants that he has at the moment. But in the beaten way of friendship, what make you at Elsinore? To visit you, my lord, no other occasion. Beggar that I am, I am even poor in thanks. Well, he calls himself a beggar there. But I thank you, and sure, dear friends, my thoughts are too dear a halfpenny. That might be something you would give to a beggar. Uh, were you not sent for? Is it your own inclining? Is it a free visitation? Come deal justly with me. Come, come, nay, speak. Deal justly, that is, tell him the truth. Uh, what should we say, my lord? Um, Guildenstern is rather taken aback there that he's being asked to tell the truth. Why anything but to the purpose? Um, that is, don't lie. You were sent for. And there is a kind of confession in your looks which your modesties have not craft enough to color. Uh, that is, they're not very good liars. They're, they're sort of looking at themselves or taken aback um, that Hamlet knows that the king and queen uh, sent for them and he's tell, asking them to tell the truth. They, they can't do it, but they're not good enough liars to cover it up either. I know the good good king and queen have sent for you. Uh, Hamlet himself, there is a line, the king is anything but good. To what end, my lord, and that you must teach me. But let me conjure you by the rights of our fellowship, by the consonancy of our youth, by the obligation of our ever-preserved love, and what is more, a better prosper proposer, excuse me, can charge you with all, be even and direct with me, whether you were sent for or no. Hamlet seems to be following a, a formula here uh, for examining people to find out if they're the truth or not, rather the same way that, that uh, Horatio and he questioned uh, the ghost. Rosencrantz aside to Guildenstern, what say you? Hamlet aside, nay, then, I have an eye of you. If you love me, hold not off. My lord, we were sent for. I will tell you why. So shall my anticipation prevent your discovery and your secrecy to the king and queen molt no feather. Um, that is, that they can, um, uh, Hamlet will say it so they don't have to lie or they don't have to tell the truth and therefore um, 
not be true to the king and queen, what they were told to do. That's interesting, too, that uh, secrecy is compared there to a bird and molt no feather. That is, it will not lose a feather. It would still be a complete uh, bird, perhaps a chicken. I have of late, but wherefore I, I know not. Lost all my mirth, forgone all custom of exercises. And indeed, it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame, the earth, seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy, the air, look you, this brave o'erhanging firmament, this majestical roof fretted with golden fire, that's the sun. Why, it appeareth nothing to me but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man! How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Okay, quintessence is the very substance, the finest substance of it. Um, also the model um, to him, to Hamlet, this greatness of man is just dust. And dust is sometimes a, a synonym for excrement. Man delights not me, nor woman neither, though by your smiling you seem to say so. Um, Hamlet's looking very closely at their faces to sort of understand what they really mean. My lord, there was no such stuff in my thoughts. Why did you laugh then when I said man delights not me? To think, my lord, if you delight not in man, what Lenten entertainment the players shall receive from you. We coated them, that's met them, on the way, and hither are they coming to offer you service. Okay, Rosencrantz is pretty quick there. Uh, God knows what he actually was laughing or smiling at, but he immediately um, shifts the subject to the actors who are coming. He that plays the king shall be welcome. Uh, okay, double meaning there. The actor, of course, who plays the king. Uh, also, um, the current king, Claudius, is not really the king who's playing the king. His majesty shall have tribute of me. The adventurous knight shall use his foil and target. The lover shall not say gratis. The humorous man shall end his part in peace. The clown shall make those laughs whose lungs are tickled over the seer. And the lady shall say her mind freely, or the blank verse shall halt for it. Okay, those are various stock characters in a uh, theatrical troupe of the time. What players are they? Even those you were wont to say, take such delight in, the tragedians of the city. How chances did they travel? Their residence, both in reputation and problem, was better both ways. Um... Okay, so they had a good reputation and they made money. They're having to travel because, presumably because they're no longer able to draw the crowds in the city. I think their inhibition comes by means of the late innovation. Um, the innovation there is um, sometimes been speculated that um, traditional companies of players use boys for girls and women's parts, and that um, because they didn't have women in their troupe, uh, they fell out of popularity. Do they hold the same estimation they did when I was in the city? Are they so followed? No, indeed, are they not. 
how comes it? Do they grow rusty? Nay, their endeavor keeps in the wonted pace. Uh, but there is, sir, an eerie of children. Now, an eerie is like a, uh, what is it, a group of bats or birds? At any rate, some some gathering, if you will, an eerie of children, little aises that cry out at the top of the question and are most tyrannically clapped for. These are now the fashion, and so berattle the common stages, so they call them, that many wearing rapier is afraid of goose quills and dare scarce come hither. Okay, so uh, the innovation, if it was right, it was that whole troops of uh, theatrical troops of children, uh, in fact, have taken over from the grown-up actors. What? Are they children? Who maintains them? How are they escutted? Uh, will they pursue the quality no longer than they can sing? Will they not say afterwards if they should grow themselves to common players, it is most like if their means are no better, their writers do them wrong to make them exclaim against their succession? Uh, that is, uh, Hamlet says, they're going to have to grow up. What's going to happen to them then? Faith, there has been, been much to do on both sides, and the nation holds it no sin to tar them to controversy. There was, for a while, no money bid for argument unless the poet and player went to cuffs in the question. Is it possible? Oh, there's been throwing about of brains. Do the boys carry it away? Aye, that they do, my lord. Hercules and his low tea. It is not very strange, for my uncle is king of Denmark. And those would they make mouths at him while my father lived, give twenty, forty, fifty, a hundred ducats apiece for his picture and little. Splud, there is something in this more than natural, if philosophy could find it out. Okay, a little comment there, and Hamlet might not be uh, too wise to let it slip in front of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Because um, he's saying, well, that, you know, it's not strange there'd be fighting uh, among among theatrical troops, because look at how changed uh, Denmark is. Uh, those who would who would laugh at him and so forth, or frown at him, whatever, while while the, the Hamlet's father lived, um, they give good sums of money just to have Claudius's picture in a little locket they can wear around their neck. And philosophy could find out. Eh, we don't know what philosophy. Flourish for the players. There are the players. Gentlemen, you are welcome to Elsinore. Your hands come then. The appurtenance of welcome in fashion and ceremony. Um, the appurtenance of welcome is fashion and ceremony. Okay, so Hamlet's going to give them fashion and ceremony. Let me comply with you in this garb, lest my extent to the players, which I tell you must show fairly outwards, should more appear like entertainment than yours. You are welcome. But my uncle father and aunt mother are deceived. Okay, he calls his uh, Claudius and Gertrude, his uncle father and aunt mother, hearkening back yet again to the discord going on in Denmark. In what, my dear lord? I am but mad north-northwest. When the wind is southerly, I know a hawk from a handsaw. Enter Polonius. Well, be with you, gentlemen. Hark you, Guildenstern, and you too. At each era here, that that great baby you see there is not yet out of his swaddling clouts. Happily, he's the second time come to them, for they say an old man is twice a child. I will prophesy he comes to tell me the player's market. Um, you say right, sir, a Monday evening, was when indeed. My lord, I have news to tell you. 
my lord, I have news to tell you. When Roscius was an actor in Rome, the actors are come hither, my lord, buzz, buzz. Upon my honor, they came each actor on his ass. The best actors in the world, either for tragedy, comedy, historical, pastoral, pastoral, comical, historical, pastoral, tragical, historical, tragical, comical, historical, pastoral, scene indivitable, or poem unlimited. Um, okay, Polonius seems to be uh, listing all the possible uh, types of plays. Seneca cannot be too heavy, nor Plotus too light. Okay, those were two, <coughs> excuse me, classic Roman Latin uh, playwright Seneca, of course, a great Stoic philosopher, as well as being known for his tragedies. Uh, Plautus was more like slapstick. For the law of rich and the liberty, these are the only men. O oh, Jephthah, judge of Israel, what a treasure hast thou? <clears throat> what treasure had me, my lord? Why, one fair daughter and no more, to which he loved passing well. Still on my daughter. Am I not in the right, old Jephthah? Okay, Jephthah is a story in the Bible in uh, in Judges. Jephthah went out to fight a battle for Israel, and he vowed that if he got the victory, he would sacrifice to, to God the first thing that stepped across the threshold of his house. Uh, when he returned, it was his daughter, and um, he ended up offering her as a human sacrifice. If you call me Jephthah, my lord, I have a daughter that I love passing well. Nay, that follows not. And what follows in my lord, why? As by lot, God wots. And then, it's lot, uh, God knows. As by lot, God wots. Uh, could be a pun there on lot, um, the the cousin of, of Abraham, who ended up committing incest with his two daughters. And then you know, it came to pass as most like it was. The first row of the pious chanson will show you more, for look where my abridgment comes. Uh, first row of pious chanson, that's the singers. Um, look where my abridgment comes, that means that uh, uh, the players are coming in, so Hamlet won't be speaking anymore. Enter four or five players. You're welcome, masters. Welcome all. I am glad to see thee. Well, welcome, good friends. Old friend, why is thy face balanced since I saw thee last? Comes out to beard me in Denmark. That's one of the players who's growing a beard. Maybe one of the children actors growing up. What my young lady and mistress, by your lady, your ladyship is nearer to heaven than I saw you last by the altitude of a Chopin. Uh, pray God your voice, like the piece of uncurrent gold, be not cracked within the ring. Um, okay, there again, one of the one of the players, uh, probably a boy who'd been playing the part of a lady, is grown up, and he's saying he hopes his voice is not uh, cracked. Also, that is uh, deepening, and uncurrent gold um, could mean that a, a piece of gold that um, was cracked within the ring. That is, it had been debased, demarked, uh, marked, or just grown old. Masters, you are all welcome. We in like the fresh, fr we in to like French falconers fly at anything we see. So in other words, uh, in Denmark, any play is going to have a great success. We'll have a speech straight. Come give us a taste of your quality. Come a passionate speech. 
Uh, what speech, my good Lord? Okay, this is the first player. And in Branagh's Hamlet, uh, this, place was, this speech was given by Charlton Heston, who did a great job on it. I heard thee speak me a speech once, but it was never acted. Or if it was not, not, not above, if it was not above once, for the play I remember, please not the million, was caviar to the general. I've heard that also called a caviar to the general. That is, um, common people can really understand it. But it was, as I received it, and others who judgment in such matters cried at the top of mine. An excellent play, well digested in the scene, set down with as much modesty as cunning. I remember one said there were no salads in the lines to make the matter savory. That is, uh, no images to sort of... Uh, they were unnecessary, but they might cause it popularity. No, no matter in the phrase that might indict the author of affectation, but called it an honest method. Once again, we see honesty. As wholesome as sweet, and by very much more handsome than fine. One speech in it I chiefly loved was Aeneas' tale of to Dido, and thereabout of it especially where he speaks of Priam's slaughter, Okay, uh, so Aeneas, that's in the Aeneid. Um, Dido was the queen of Carthage um, and his lover. And we find out about the end of the Trojan War in the, in the Aeneid uh, through Aeneas uh, telling it to Dido. Uh, so this is a dramatization of that scene in the, in the Aeneid, which is actually in itself a dramatization of the fall of Troy. So we have a play within a play. Um, or a story within a story here. Um, and Shakespeare uses this image of a play within a play. That's the whole introduction of the players, which will culminate in the play within the play of, uh, that Hamlet calls the mousetrap. If it live in your memory, begin at this line. Let me see, let me see. The rugged Pyrrhus, like the Hyrcanian beast. T'was not so. It begins with Pyrrhus. The rugged Pyrrhus, he whose sable arms, black as his purpose, did the knight resemble when he lay couched in the ominous horse, that's a Trojan horse, hath now this dread and black complexion smeared with heraldry more dismal, uh, that is blood. Head to foot, now is he total gills, horribly tricked with blood of fathers, mothers, daughters, sons, baked and impasted with the parching streets, that's everything's on fire, that lend a tyrannous and damned light to their lord's murder, that's uh, Priam uh, being killed, roasted in wrath and fire, and thus o'erseas with coagulate gore, with eyes like carbuncles, the hellish Pyrrhus, old grandsire Priam seeks. Okay, so that's a pretty graphic description of uh, the slaughter that's about to come. Hamlet's having murderous thoughts, if you will, though he's not acting on them. So proceed you. Uh, forget my lord, well spoken, and with good accent and good dis discretion. That's Polonius. Here comes the player. Anon he, find him, he finds him, striking too short at Greeks. His antique sword, rebellious to his arm, lies where it falls, repugnant to command. Unequal matched, Pyrrhus at Priam drives, and rage strikes wide. But with the whiff and wind of his fell sword, 
the unnerved father falls. Then senseless Ilium, that's Troy, seeming to feel this blow with a flaming top, stoops to its base and with hideous crash takes prisoner Pyrrhus' ear. Um, for lo, his sword, which declining on the milky head of Reverend Prime, seemed to the air to stick. And so, and as a painted tyrant, Pyrrhus stood, and like a neutral to his will and matter, did nothing. Okay, Hamlet is like Pyrrhus in this moment, in that he is doing nothing. But as we often see, against some storm, a silence in the heavens, the rack stands still, the bold wind speechless, and the orb below is hush as death. Anon the dreadful thunder doth rend the region. So after Pyrrhus' pause, a roused vengeance sets him new a work, and never did the Cyclops' hammers fall on Mars' armor, forge for proof it turn, with less remorse than Pyrrhus' bleeding sword now falls on Priam. Out, out, thou strumpet fortune! That's the second appearance of that phrase, strumpet fortune. All you gods and general synod, that's in a, that's in a meeting like a bishop synod, take away her power, Break all the spokes and fellies from her wheel. Fortune is uh, depicted as having a wheel um, that spins almost senselessly. And bowl the round knave down the hill of heaven as low as to the fiends. This is too long, says Polonius. It shall to the barbers with your bid, says Hamlet. Pray thee, say on, he's for a jig or a tale of baudry, or he sleeps. Say on, come to Hecuba. But who, ah, woe, had seen the mobled queen? Uh, mobled queen, that's good. Mobled queen is good. Runs barefoot up and down, threatening the flames with bizon room, a clout upon that head. Where late the diadem stood, and for a robe about her lank, and our Lord teemed loins, a blanket, and the alarm of fear caught up. Who this had seen with tongue in venom steep, against fortune's state would treason have pro pronounced. But if the gods themselves did see her then, when she saw Pyrrhus make malicious sport, in mincing with his sword her husband's limbs, the instant birth of clamor that she made, unless thing mortals moved them not at all, would have made milts the burning eyes of heaven and passion in the gods. Polonius, look what he has turned, his color and his tears in his eyes. Pray thee no more. Tis well. I'll have thee speak ye the rest of this soon. Good my lord, will you see the players well bestowed? Do you hear? Let them be well used. For they are the abstract and brief chronicles of the time. After your death, you were better have a bad epitaph than their ill repute while you live. My lord, I will see them used according to their desert. God's botkins, man, much better. Use every man after his desert, and who shall scape whipping? Use him after your own dignity and honor. The less they deserve, the more merit is in your bounty. Take them in. What Hamlet is saying here is uh, 
is that uh, should use them, uh, that is, be show them entertainment, dispose them, be courteous to them, um, use them after your own honor and dignity. Um, this is a thought that's um, that it's better to have mercy uh, than to than to be used justly. For as, as Shakespeare says here. Use every man after his deserving, and who would not be whipped? For we all deserve punishment and whipping. Um, but it's better for us to use mercy ourselves and forgiveness. Use them after your own honor and dignity. I've heard people say that you should only be charitable to those who deserve it. That misses the whole point of charity. Charity is for us. It's not for the poor. By showing mercy, we show how we ourselves may deserve mercy. Take them in. Come, sirs. Follow him, friends. We'll hear a play tomorrow. Okay, Hamlet to uh, the first player. Um, Dost thou hear me, old friend? Can you play the murder of Gonzago? I, my lord. We'll have it tomorrow night. You could, for a need, study a speech of some dozen or sixteen lines, which I would sit down and search in it. Could you not? I, my lord. Very well. Follow that lord, and look, you mock him not. Um, that is, don't make fun of Polonius. It's got to be tempting. My good friends, I'll leave you till tonight. You're welcome to Elsinore. Good, my lord. I. So, God be with you. Okay, now we're going to have another great soliloquy coming up, and we're hard upon the witching hour of uh, half an hour. So until next time, adieu.